Well, hey, as you make your way back to your seat, grab your Bibles. We're looking at Luke chapter 14 this morning. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're able, we're at Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. Uh, we are finishing our summer series this morning on the parables of Jesus, looking at the parable of the tower builder and the king at war. And this is Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. If you don't have a print Bible out in front of you, you're going to need it this morning. Grab one of these blue hardback Bibles. They're all throughout the room. You can turn to page 1039. If you need a print Bible in front of you, grab one of these blue Bibles. If you don't have a personal Bible, you can always take one of these home as our gift to you. We'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word. We're looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Uh, welcome again to Javel Prez. My name is Dustin. I am the pastor here, and I'm excited to finish up uh, with our summer series this morning. With that in mind, let's hear from Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Friend, hear the word of the Lord to us from Luke. Now great crowds accompanied him, and Jesus turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray together? Uh, Father, we come to one of the harder teachings of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. And Father, we ask for ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, have you ever noticed that nobody listens to the flight attendant? I feel so bad every time I take a flight. Uh, if you don't know this, early on in a flight, the flight attendant usually gets up and he or she will do what? They give their safety demonstration, and everyone does what? They immediately turn on their iPads or they look down at their book, and nobody listens to the safety instruction. You know, why do people do that? Have you ever been on a flight and seen that? Nobody listens to the flight attendant. Isn't that so sad? Why do you, why do you think that's part of human nature, to not listen to the flight attendant? Well, um, that's kind of an off topic. I just wanted to ask you that question. Look down with me at Luke 14. <laughs> look at Luke 14 for just a second. Uh, look down at verse 34. You know, uh, what I want to remind you of is this is Jesus's salty teachings. These are pretty salty words. If you were listening to me and not listening to the flight attendant just now, you would recognize on multiple times Jesus says to renounce everything, your career, your family, in fact, everything you possess. And if you don't, you can't be his disciple. 
This is why traditionally this passage of Scripture would not fall under a parables sermon series, but usually it falls into something like the hard sayings of Jesus Christ. This is one of the harder things. This is, this is one of the salty things that Jesus says. What's the point? Why does Jesus talk about salt at the end of there? Well, Jesus simply is saying, don't be a useless disciple. And if that sounds too blunt, don't forget Jesus just said some things are worth throwing in the manure pile. <laughs> this is Jesus at his saltiest. You know, why doesn't anybody listen to the flight attendant? Why does anybody listen to the flight attendant? You know, one of my greatest fears as your pastor is that you listen to me like you listen to a flight attendant. Like, I've got nothing new to say to you. Like, there's nothing actually riding on the message of Jesus Christ. You're, many of you listen to me like you've heard it all before. And if you really think you've heard it all before, and there's nothing here to say, um, you know, I don't know, go back to sleep, oh sleeper. <laughs> But friends, did you recognize how challenging, how utterly challenging Jesus is in this passage? So, you know, I don't know if you're catching it. So what I thought I would do is to match the tone of this passage. So, you know, um, anybody here run track? What high school students, anybody run track? When do you run the fastest when you're running the mile? What lap do you run the fastest? When do you give it your all? Do you, run it, do you give it all, your, everything that you've got in your first lap? No, when do you give it your all? On the final lap, all right? So I have saved the hardest parable for last. This is the final lap, y'all. I know you're tired of the parables. I know you're tired of the challenging sermons, but here we go. This is the final lap. Give it your all, all right? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to try to match the tone, and it's going to feel like I'm pushing you really hard, but that's because we're at the end of the mile. It's our fourth and final lap around the round-to-go-round, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you Multiple reasons why you should not follow Jesus. And then I'm give you some reasons for maybe why you should. But I'm going to do that to match the tone of this passage. And if that sounds too challenging, I'm not sure you're really listening to what Jesus has to say in this passage. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to show you why you should not follow Jesus. Anybody go to church think you're going to hear that from the pastor? Why should you not follow Jesus? I have two simple points in my outline this morning. Why should you not follow Jesus? Because you can't afford to. That's my first point. You can't afford to. Look down at verse 25 with me. Let's go at the beginning. What does it say? It says, now great crowds accompanied him. That's Jesus, right? So great crowds accompanied Jesus. And he turned. Can you picture this in your mind's eye? Hundreds, maybe thousands of people are following Jesus. And Jesus turns around. Can you picture that in your mind's eye? And he says to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even their own life, they cannot be my disciple. See, this is the saltiness of Jesus coming out, right? But every time I say the saltiness, just remember this. Salt is what makes a steak really, really good, right? And salt is also what's in soy sauce, which is why it's great in sushi, right? Anybody want to eat their sushi without the soy sauce? Anybody want to eat a saltless steak? No. It's salty, but it's also what makes Jesus captivating. So look at verse 25. What I want you to recognize is who is Jesus speaking to? Why does Jesus say such utterly challenging things? It's because a, an enormous crowd of people have decided to listen to what Jesus has to say, but that does not mean that they are his disciples. 
You may, you may have never caught this before, but Jesus is not interested in big crowds. He is not interested in being somebody's spectacle. What Jesus is interested in doing is calling disciples to follow him. He, Jesus is not here to make good people a little bit better. He is here to raise the spiritually dead to a new way of life. He is here to do nothing less than to usher in the kingdom of God and to call sleepers to arise and wake up. What does he say to these great crowds? Uh, okay, I don't know that all of you actually want to be my disciples. So Jesus says something intentionally challenging. When Jesus looks at this big crowd and he says, unless you hate everything else and love me and my teachings more than anything else, you can't be my disciple. Does that sound like the kind of thing a, a guy who's desperate for approval is going to say? A guy who's just in it for the big crowds? It's like Jesus is intentionally trying to thin the herd for some reason. What is Jesus doing? Well, he gives a parable about a guy who needs to sit down and count the cost. And what's the implication? Can we pay it? Can we afford it? Well, Jesus says right there in verse 26, he says the first thing that it will cost us is what? Where does Jesus go? <laughs> he goes right to the things that we hold most dear. You know, what is it going to cost you? Why should you maybe not follow Jesus? Because first off, what Jesus will say, it may cost you your family. Look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. You know, this is one of those hard sayings of Jesus. So what is Jesus' point? Well, uh, you know, automatically we think, well, how is, I'm supposed to like hate my family? Well, you know, is that really what Jesus means? Well, no, Jesus is using a hyperbolic way of speaking. This is a very Jewish way of talking. Here, hate does not literally mean that you hate them and you plan malice against them. What hate here means, it means you love less. What Jesus is saying is, if you are going to be my disciple, you have to love me and the Lord more than anything else, more than you love even your own family. Uh, this way of speaking about hatred is, is actually a very Jewish way of talking. You see tons of examples in the Old Testament, but you know, if you were to flip over to Matthew chapter 10, you can see how Matthew helps us understand this hard saying. This is page 969 if you want to turn there. In Matthew 10, verses 37 through 38, Jesus gives another parallel teaching. And listen to how he talks about it this way. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than they love me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than they love me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what is Jesus teaching us here? Well, there's some inner tension, but I'm suggesting to you that Jesus is using hyperbole. He's overstating it so that you and I will listen. And he's doing it to not thin the herd, but actually to call disciples out of the crowd so that people would actually know if they are part of the kingdom of God. And really what Jesus is telling us is to love God more than anything else. Another way you could say it is Jesus is just rephrasing the first commandment. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus is just saying the utmost love of your life can't be your family. The utmost love of your life has to be God alone. And it, there should be such a dynamic sh shift from your, the way that you love God to the way you love everything else that other people should be able to notice. 
Also, of course, you know, that brings up a bunch of tension, right? Because wait a second, doesn't Jesus say things like, I'm supposed to love my enemies? Why does Jesus say to love my enemies, but then it turns around and tells me to hate my family? What's Jesus talking about? Well, friends, you have to understand how Jesus is speaking, right? Jesus is intentionally saying things that are pushing on us. Well, of course, we love our enemies because they may actually be our brothers and sisters. We just don't know it yet. We don't know what God's going to do in the lives of our enemies. Maybe they will one day come to faith. And when he says to hate our family, he doesn't literally mean, you know, like plan malice against your father or mother. What he's saying is he's pulling on the pendulum as far as he can, saying God alone is to be number one. I mean, how does Matthew say it? You can't love anything more than you love God. So this is a, this is a dramatic way of speaking. Do you catch that? I mean, this is one of those things where people in the crowd were like, I, this is not for me. But, you know, what Jesus is doing all throughout the New Testament, and you've got to see this, is Jesus is taking something that we all love, that God has given us, family, and he is our expanding our understanding of what we mean by family. Uh, think about it this way. Uh, go to Luke chapter 8. How does Jesus understand family? If you go to Luke chapter 8, this is page 1028, if you want to flip over in your Bible, Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God and his own family, his own relatives and his mother show up. And in verse 19, it says his mother and his brothers came to him, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you, right? Hey, your family wants to talk to you, Jesus. Make room for your mom and your, your relatives. But verse 21, what does Jesus say? But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. How does Jesus define the family? Well, of course, there's your nuclear family. Jesus isn't denying that. But on a profound level, our deepest family, Christian, are what? Other believers. They're other believers. Jesus says, who, who are my relatives? The people who listen to the call of the cross and follow me. That's who my family is. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the royal announcement that Jesus really is king, that Jesus is Lord, is so world-changing, it redefines how you even see flesh and blood. What does Paul say in Galatians 3? Many of you know this. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, now there is neither what? Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, Jesus is teaching something utterly profound about the family of God. <laughs> that if you are born again, if you are baptized and have put on Christ, you are brought into a new family we all sang that we sing as the children of God. And what Jesus is saying is that is ultimately our family are our fellow believers. But that's a challenging, is a challenging message. You know, because a lot of us think like Ray Kroc. Anybody know who Ray Kroc is? He's the founder of McDonald's, right? Probably the most American guy we could all think of, right? And uh, Ray Kroc, famous for making McDonald's. Uh, anybody know his famous quote about God and family and McDonald's? Ray Kroc famously said this, I believe in God, family, and McDonald's. <laughs> and in the office, 
that order is reversed. I believe in God, family, and McDonald's, and in the office buddy, that order is reversed. It's McDonald's, it's my family, and then it's God. Now, maybe family isn't the number one commitment in your life. Maybe it's your career. But how many of us actually live like Ray Kroc? There's my career, that's number one. Typically, that's how men think. Not always, but typically, that's men. Or maybe you think, you know what's number one? My family. Typically, that's how women think, but not always. Whether you put family or your career as number one or number two doesn't really matter. But what's the same is many of us live like Ray Kroc, where God is the third and final commitment. Do you hear the challenge of Jesus? <laughs> Why should you not follow Jesus? Well, Jesus says, because, buddy, your family's going to have to go down the order, and God alone is number one. Jesus is simply saying the first commandment in just a more challenging way than many of us have ever heard. So it may cost your family. Number th the, second number, the second thing you may have to you give up, the you know, second reason you may not want to do this, the cost may be too high, is because it may cost you your career. You may have to give up your career. Uh, notice that he doesn't just limit it to family. Look at verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his family, and then how does he finish it? Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so look at verse 33 now, a little down again. He says it again. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What does it mean for us to bear our cross and to lay down even our own life and all that we have? <laughs> uh, friends, what you need to recognize is this is one of the clearest examples of Jesus declaring that he is God that I can think of. Who could talk like this? Unless you follow me, unless you follow me, you will not have life and I alone can tell you to lay down your career and your family and all of your aspirations in life. You've, you've got to drop all of those things and lay them at my feet and follow me alone. I mean, who talks like that? If you meet a sage like who talks like that, walk away. Walk away quickly, okay? This is one of those easy examples to see that only God has the right to say this. I mean, what, what person, what mere human could say, who, who would have the audacity to say that I'm more important than your family and your possessions and your career? Only God can make such a claim. This is one of those reminders that, wait a second, Jesus isn't just a human. He is. He's fully man, but he's also fully God. But what does it mean that you may have to give up your own life and bear a cross and give up your career? Well, friends, uh, it may mean in no uncertain terms, a believer, that if you are going to remain faithful to God and faithful to his word, there may come a day that you miss out on promotions. You may lose your job. You may face persecution, you may face rejection at work from your coworkers and from your boss, or maybe your own family. If you stay faithful to the Lord, it may cost you something. I mean, how many of us have seen that already playing out in our own community right now? Holding faithful to the word of God may cost you a job. See, this is, I'm, I'm trying to convince you not to follow Jesus, y'all. Your family's going to have to go down on the priority list. God's going to have to go up to number one. And guess what? Your career may take a hit. It may take a hit. Lastly, the reason you probably shouldn't follow Jesus is because, friend, you're going to have to give up your hard heart. You know how this world operates? 
This world operates by a certain simple rule, and it goes like this. If you're nice to me, I will be nice to you. And if you love me, I will love you in return. But buddy, if you cross me, I'll hit you twice as hard as you hit me. And so what we do, the way of life that we have, is we develop hard hearts. And then we justify our hard hearts because we've been hurt. And so hard hearts are really a defensive mechanism, right? But what Jesus says, has the audacity to say, is that you and I are called to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, if you love only those who love you in return, even pagans do that, what good is that of you? But you are called to be the children of God. So turn the other cheek. If you're really going to follow Jesus Christ, what it means is at some deep level that only you will really know the cost of, you're going to have to lay down your hurts, your old resentments, and all of the hardness around your heart and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, I renounce it. I've renounced that way of life. I've renounced those old unforgivenesses. I renounce my career. I renounce my family. I'm with you, Jesus. Jesus says, if you're going to follow him, you should be like, you know, the guy who, you know, um, the guy from Orlando. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? I used to live in Orlando. Some of you have been there. It's famous for, you know, stuff. It's got Universal Studios and stuff. If you live in Orlando, I love this. This will preach so well to like one person in the room. Just imagine a guy who owns a Christian radio station <laughs> in Orlando. You know what he did? He decided to build a giant tower on Interstate 4 in Altamont Springs, Florida. So it's the northern suburb of Orlando. And uh, he started, I think, in 2001. And to this day, it's still not complete. It is a giant shell of nothingness. <laughs> Nothing goes on in there. And you know what everyone in Orlando calls it? The eyesore on I-4. It's this giant, ugly building that this guy decided to build, and he didn't have the money to finish it, and everybody ridicules him, right? Now, of course, the guy's reason was because he wasn't going to go into debt, but the irony is he's paid so much money in taxes that I think he actually could have already paid it had he taken out a loan, but that's beside the point. What Jesus is saying, and the reason I'm saying why you should not follow him is because I think what Jesus is saying in the parable about the tower builder is following Jesus is not a simple commitment. It is not a one-time commitment. And it should not be something you do because of the emotion of the moment. There should be sober consideration. Consider the cost. Jesus says tons of people will respond to the kingdom and they'll grow for a little while, but boy, when the cares of this world and the riches of this age and persecution come, they're going to die in the ground. Take it seriously. Sober consideration. Consider the cost. Don't be like the guy in Orlando and build halfway because then everybody will just make fun of you. It's Jesus' point of that parable. Consider the cost. Isn't this crazy that Jesus is like the master evangelist and this is how he talks to us? <laughs> Consider the cost. Be sober. But of course, Jesus is talking like this. He's salty, not because he actually wants people to refuse him, he wants people to come to him. <laughs> I want everyone listening to me to come to Jesus Christ. I am not trying to talk you out of it. <laughs> I'm trying to match Jesus' tone. You may have to give up your family and your career, but friends, um, 
there's another parable. Did you notice that there's two parables? Jesus loves using two parables side by side. I think the point of the first parable is maybe you can't afford to follow Jesus. The cost is really high. You got to give up everything. You can't afford to. But I think the point of the second parable of two kings at war, I think the point of that parable is, friend, you can't afford not to. You can't afford to follow Christ, but friends, you really can't afford not to follow Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, look down at the passage with me. Right? Jesus is talking about family, our careers, our very lives. Uh, the, the message of the kingdom is about um, loving our enemies, giving up on our hard hearts. But friends, what I want you to realize is that actually the kingdom of God redeems all three of those issues. Right? So I gave you three reasons to not follow Christ, but friends, what I want to show you is that actually Jesus fulfills and redeems all three of those things that you actually want. And, and think about it this way. Um, in Luke chapter 1, in Luke chapter 1, Mary is called blessed. In the Magnificat, Mary says, Mother Mary, the mother of Jesus, she says, all generations will call me blessed. Why is Mary called blessed for all generations? Why does she prophesy that that will happen? It's interesting, because if you go to Luke chapter 11, if you look over to Luke chapter 11, we find out why all generations will call Mary blessed. This is Luke 11, verse 27 and through 28. As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed, right? So what's this lady saying? Blessed be Mary, because she was your mother. Verse 28, what does Jesus say? But Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Friends, what I love about this is uh, commenting and preaching on this passage, St. Augustine said, Mary was more blessed in accepting the faith of Christ than in conceiving the flesh of Christ. Even in her motherhood, her motherhood would have done her no good unless she had been born again in her heart. What makes Mary blessed? It's not just that she was Jesus' flesh relative. It was that she had faith in Christ. Blessed is the one who hears the word of God and does it. And Mary did that, and that's why she is blessed. See, friends, what Jesus is saying is the family that you long for, your ultimate family, is actually Hopefully, you're flesh and blood, but ultimately, it is God's family. Who are Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters and relatives? Those who hear the word of God and do it. Friend, there is a family that will last forever. There is neither Jew nor Greek, Oregonian or Southerner. You are all one in Christ. You know what this does? If, if you can see that Jesus opens up to a new family, you know what it does? You know what the first thing it does in the heart of a Christian? If you actually see that, I'm not, wait, I, may I may have to renounce my family, but I'm actually getting a new family. You know what the first thing it does in your heart? It removes racism. It removes racism from you. Because you see people from every nation, language, and tribe as what? Brothers and sisters. First thing that the kingdom of God does. This is why Jesus says you've got to give up you know, idolizing your flesh and blood. Because guess what? God made every person from one man and one woman. There's a better family to be a part of. And friends, I pray that your flesh and blood follow Jesus Christ, but if you are a Christian, your true family are those who with you do the word of God. 
And if Jesus didn't talk like this, friend, how else are you going to get rid of racism in the world? How else are you going to do that? Something more profound has to unite humanity than just the fact that we have DNA. I saw a billboard the other day. You know what it showed? It showed like five skeletons, and it said, we're all the same. And I was like, that, that's where we are? That's the thing that unites humanity? We all have skeletons? That's it. Everything else has fallen. We all, we're all Americans. No, we're not. We're all men. No, we're not. Okay, so what is it? We all have skeletons. Yes! That will unite humanity. Brothers and sisters, that will not preach. <laughs> that will not preach. There's something more profound that unites all people. And it's Jesus Christ and his lordship. And he calls men and women from every nation, language, and tribe into that. The second thing that it does when you realize that your ultimate family is the family of God is, friends, you realize that everyone you meet is a potential brother or sister in Christ. When Jesus says he goes to seek the lost, I think what he means is, and this is what I think of, and this is why I'm excited about Alpha. It's because if you believe the message of the gospel, what it means is there are people in Jacksonville, there are people in your neighborhood who are actually your brother and sister in Christ. They just don't know it yet. And when Jesus goes around and he says, are you my brother? Are you my brother? Are you my sister? Jesus knows that there are people who have been predestined to glory, who are the children of God, and they just don't know it yet. It's like they were lost at birth. I mean, could you imagine, what if your parents came to you and said, you know what, we have a sis- we, you have a sister, we just never told you about her, but she's somewhere in, in Medford. Wouldn't you do everything you could to be like, are you my sister? Are you my sister? Are you my sister? Friends, that's what evangelism is. That's why we share the message of Jesus Christ, is because we know there are men and women today that are in our family, and they don't have hope, and they don't know who they are, and they don't know who the family of God is. It is our job to go find our lost brothers and sisters. The last thing I'll say about being a part of the family of God is so beautiful. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, if you aim for earth, you get neither earth nor heaven. But if you aim for heaven, you get heaven and earth thrown in. (laughs) Jesus and the family of God is actually what empowers you to love your family correctly. That's what actually allows you to love your flesh and blood. Because if you make your family the ultimate end goal of your life, man, your kids are going to be in a world of hurt because if they mess up, who does that reflect on? You. But friends, if you say your ultimate family is the family of God and we're all broken in need of a savior, you're actually free to love your kids but not to need them in an overbearing way. You're free to love them You're free to love them and show them grace. You see that? How does Jesus answer the heart call of a family? This is how. Second thing, friend, is I need you to see that Jesus has something so much better to offer you than a career. So much better to offer you than a career. Um, Think about it this way. Name me me the last 10 World Series winners. Who are they? Who even won it last year? Does nobody know of all the billions of dollars that we have spent on baseball and sports? Not a one of us could probably, except for maybe one, and don't do it right now, I know who you are. Nobody could name me the last 10 World Series winners, and yet we think that's what a legacy is. We think that's what legacy is. And we can't even remember who won the World Series 10 years ago. You know, yep. I mean, 
who, who, who was even the king during this time? I don't know. Nobody cares. He's tree food now. I got this from a guy who, who really gets this. I got this from a guy named John Esser. Some of you know him. So you're bracing yourselves. Friends, what if instead of a career, God gave you a calling? This is what John Esther told me one day. Your career is what you are paid for. Your calling is what you are made for. When you stop idolizing your career and you start asking yourself, what is your true calling in life? Friends, you may actually enjoy your career in a very different way. Because all of your identity and your self-value and your worth won't be tied up in your career. And you may be free to actually love your job and to love your school because you don't see it as just your career. You see it as a calling from God. Lastly, friends, instead of a hard heart, the Old Testament promises that one day when God gathers his people from all the nations, he would replace their hard hearts, their old resentments, their angers, and he would replace it with a what? Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses and from your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Friends, if you follow Christ, you get the new heart. You start loving your enemies. You start forgiving other people. You start letting go of the old ways of life and you live in a new man. I mean, who here wouldn't want a new heart? What if I could give you a brand new 15-year-old heart right now? Who wouldn't want that? And God has something infinitely better to give you, infinitely better. If you would be willing to lay your old resentments down, your unforgivenesses, your hard heart, Jesus can give you a new heart. If you'll lay your family, your possessions, your career down, you may find what? The family of God in a calling on your life. And infinitely more than you could ever imagine. Friend, if you aim for heaven, you may find that you actually get earth thrown in the deal. So why would anybody do this? Why would anybody do this? Right? If you look down at Luke 14, it is salty, salty, salty. Right? Is it worth the cost? Friend, how can you afford not to? How can you really afford not to listen? You see, the point of the second parable the parable of the king at wars, Jesus is saying, you've got an army of 10,000, but what if there's a greater king that's coming for you? And he's got 20,000. Your only option is to what? Ask for terms of peace. And friends, I think that's the heart of the gospel. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I can't stand before that on my own righteousness. My little army of 10,000, it's actually 10,000 little green army men, toys. I can't stand before a holy, almighty God. And so what do I have to ask for? It's peace. Unless the greater king chooses to show mercy, I have no hope. And so I ask for peace. And friends, this is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus paid the cost for us. Jesus renounced all things. He even took the form of a servant. He even humbled himself to the point of death. Why? 
so that you and I could be reconciled to God and brought into his family and given a calling and given his Holy Spirit and the new heart. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west and has thrown open the doors of the kingdom of God to you and me. And he offers it to people from every nation, language, and tribe. He is making a new family and he calls you and I into it. Friends, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would have ears to hear. Uh, Lord, we pray that even now we would be renouncing all things. Lord, that we would reprioritize you at the top of the list. Uh, Father, we thank you for the family of God that we get to be a part of. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we trust your calling on our lives, Lord, that we would love those around us, Lord, that we would love our families well, but also even our own enemies. And Lord, as we gather this morning, we think about those who are sick and in need. Uh, Lord, we think of Nick Caro. Lord, we think of Shane. Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, we lift to you the fire victims just south of us. Lord, have mercy on all the workers, all the firefighters. And Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on uh, Pastor Jim Howell, our fellow EPC pastor who has lost his home. Uh, Lord, have mercy on him and protect his wife as well. And Lord, would you bless them. Uh, Lord, you, you know that we love to pray for sister churches in the valley, uh, but Lord, heavy on our heart is a fellow EPC church this morning, Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Lord, they are grieving the loss of Liza Fletcher. And Lord, we pray for uh, her surviving husband and her two little children. Uh, Father, following the death of their mother, would you have mercy on those boys? Would you have mercy on her husband? And Lord, would you get them through these storms of life? And again, Lord, we lift to you our parents, our children, our college students, our youth group, our school administrators and teachers and aides. Uh, Lord, would they hear your call and not just focus on their career, but see their calling Lord, have mercy. We love you. Amen.